This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. say you were once in darkness you ever read something you kind of think you, you kind of read it but actually it doesn't say you were once in darkness it says you once you were darkness and that's a, an incredible description really because that was the way we were before we came to Christ we weren't in darkness we actually were darkness otherwise it's speaking of what our condition was like before we came to Christ. You know what God? God doesn't kind of renew your old nature. He doesn't kind of put it together again and renew it a little bit. And you know, add a little bit of good to it. The Bible says what God does with your old nature, your old flesh. He puts it to death. He doesn't kind of renew it. He puts it to death. Why? Because he gives you a brand new nature. It's not like a renewal of the old. The Bible says that nothing good dwells in the flesh. Nothing good dwells in the old nature. The only thing that God does with it, he condemns it to death. We have been what? Crucified with Christ. We no longer live. But Christ lives in us. Isn't that awesome? So it's not that we once were, were a darkness. We were darkness. That was our old nature. Our new nature is a nature of light. Because the nature of Jesus Christ. The old nature separated from God. The new nature has been brought into connection with the living God. Isn't that wonderful? And this is what I love about this phrase is here. It says, you once were in darkness. And this is why I love this phrase. I love this phrase, but now. I'm going to that, but now. But now. That's what you, you know, but now. You once were in darkness, but now. And I think it's good to declare in scriptures what you are now. Often we're so focused on what we were rather than saying, but now. You know, once I was totally defeated, but now, well, I'm more than a conqueror. Once I was away from God, but now I've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And I think so often we're so busy talking about focusing on what we were, Rather than saying, but now. You know what the enemy will always try and do? He'll always, try, he'll always try to take you back to what you were. He'll remind you of what you were. He'll remind you of your failures. He'll remind you of all the things of your past. And you just say, but now. Because God is the God of the now. And instead of living in what was, we need to learn to live in what now is. Revelation, this is where I am. But now, yeah, I was a mess. Yeah, I made lots of mistakes, lots of failures. I was, but now. But now I'm a new creation in Christ. But now, he who lives in me is greater than he in the world. Isn't that awesome? I just, I don't, we could go on forever, couldn't we, doing that? 
And it says, there we were in this, but we were in this darkness. Isn't it interesting that, that people can actually be so focused on darkness rather than actually seeing all that we've been brought into Christ with. Now, this is what I love this phrase here. He says, but find out what pleases the Lord. And that word there, find out, means to explore, research, discover and experience. In other words, you begin to discover it, you begin to, to, to explore it, and then you begin to live in the truth of it. Live and experience a life that knows how to please the Lord. I think that's one of the greatest things we can do. Is that true? To know what really pleases the Lord. Wouldn't it be sad that you live whole, your whole life and not really pleasing the Lord? Is that true? Wouldn't it be important and valuable to know what pleases the Lord? Now, here is the problem. I'm going to I'll deal with the problem before we get to the good stuff. But so often, when you hear that, people then get into some sort of religious sort of stuff. You know, all the outward exteriors. We think often the outward exteriors is, is really that what pleases the Lord. I only mean, realize that's not the issue. And often people get into all kind of legalism, all kind of tradition. You know, for example, you know, should women wear makeup? I was remember years ago, this lady, and it's just, I remember this lady told me how, when she was, when she was a teenager, she took the courage to bring her friend to church. And it's a real big, for her, it was a massive big thing to bring a friend to church. And the moment her friend came into the church, wasn't here, it was another part of the country, when she came into the church many years ago, the first thing this woman said to her, this was this woman's friend, get that stuff off your face. Clean that stuff off your face before you come into this church. She never went to church for years and years and years. She said that whole thing just so humiliated her, so embarrassed her, because someone had a, a kind of distorted view that that really pleased God. How many of that didn't please God? And often we're not talking about outward exteriors, about clothes or whatever, all these other things. We're talking about something of the heart. What truly pleases the Lord? How many know what really pleases the Lord? What honors him? What pleases him? Let me give you a few starters. There's the first thing. Have thought about this? You already please the Lord. Before we even start, you already please the Lord. Zephaniah 3, verse 17. He says, God says, He will rejoice over you. This is de- declaring the Lord. He will re- rejoice over you with singing. The Amplified Version says, He will shout, He will, he will shout songs of joy over you. Isn't that awesome? In fact, the word Rejoice there means to jump up and dance around. That's how God looks on you. When he sees on you, he sings over you. I mean, remember when you were kids and you used to, you know, used to sing to children. Bless their hearts. You know, you say, there's something about singing a song. There's something about that. It's an expression of love to someone. And God says, you know, I sing over you. In fact, I, I jump up and I dance around. That's powerful. Isn't that a powerful description? 
When God looks at you, he's so thrilled about you. He sings over you. And essentially jumps up. That's why, you know, nothing wrong with dancing. Why? Because God dances, amen? In, in the, as he defines his view of you. And God leaps up and dances around. I love that. So the first thing is, is, is the fact that God already delights in you. He enjoys you. Here's the second thing. We can find out what pleases Lord. He doesn't make it some mystery, something you can never work out. Look at Luke 10, verse 21. Look what Jesus says in Luke 10, 21. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy for the Holy Spirit, says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for that is what you were pleased to do. In other words, God takes great delight in letting you know what's in his heart. God is going to show you what pleases him. You know, uh, when I get presents for Angie, because of mistakes I've made in the past, <laughs> <laughs> Men, how many have been there? She kind of gives me clues. You know what I mean? She said, well, she gives little clues, little things. And the important thing is I pick up on those clues. At times I haven't, and it's been embarrassing. But, but the point is, she, she, she gives me little clues. Why? Because I want to buy her things that, she, that pleases her. Is that true? And God gives you little clues. He shows you things that really please him. He doesn't make it some great mystery, something unobtainable. He actually shows you the things that really do please him. Here's the third thing, and I like this one. I think this. Uh, God, in fact, let me, I just thought of this story. I, I remember I used to have a, a well, a very, very wealthy auntie. And at Christ, I was at Christmas time. She used to live in a place called Hollywood in Birmingham. It wasn't LA, but LA, Birmingham. But Hollywood in Birmingham. <laughs> Bit of a lie. But she was, I know she was, she always used to, I'm, I'm nine years of age, and she used to wrap things up, and she, we always had to open her presents in front of her, and it was like, she used to buy me a tie. I'm nine years of age. <laughs> and she'd buy me this tie, and I'd go, oh, oh thank you so much. How <laughs> many of that did not please me? <laughs> I remember once she wrapped up a 50 pence piece. <laughs> You know, just the, every present was a present that actually I didn't really please me. Because she never really took much time to think about what really does please me. You know, probably, probably after about ten years I had all these ties. You know, <laughs> stopped them, you know, hidden somewhere. And God doesn't want that to be a mystery to you. He wants to show you what really pleases me. Here's the third thing. God's not hard to please. He said, if you just give me a cup of water in my name, there's a reward there. You know, God's not some hard taskmaster. I think there's the problem. Sometimes we think God's hard to please, and you never please him. No matter what you do, you can never please him. Now, I always remember a story of a, of, a, of a young girl, and I think she got nine A's and one B. And she said, all my father talked about was the B. Never mentioned how amazing the nine A's were. All he thought about was the, was the one B she got. And she said, I lived my whole life, I could never really feel I could ever please my father. 
And I'll often think it be like that. We never feel sometimes we ever can please God. But the truth is, you know what? God's not hard to please. Isn't that awesome? He's not hard to please. He's not some tyrant that, that you've got, you, you know, no matter what you do, doesn't please him. I think first thing is God is really, really easy to please. And here's the fourth thing. He helps me to please him. In other words, we don't try and please him in our own strength. He helps us to do what pleases him. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. I love it. Uh, I think the Passion Translation says, He will continue to revitalize you, implanting in you the desire and the passions to see his longings fulfilled. He puts that in you, that wonderful. Hebrews 13, 21 says, He will equip you with every good thing for doing His will, working in us what is pleasing to Him. In other words, He will give you the ability and the power to please Him. Awesome. He equips you, He empowers you, He gives you the strength, He gives you the grace, He gives you the ability, and He gives you the power to please Him. Now, let me just share some of the things I think really do please God. There's a, there's a whole list there. I just want to give you a few things. Here's the first thing that pleases God. is when we depend upon him. He loves it when we learn to depend on him. God doesn't love independence. God loves dependence. He just loves it when we really trust him. When we really rely on him. When we just put our trust in him completely. Jesus says, apart from me... You can, what, do nothing. In the Greek, the word nothing means nothing. Zero, zouch, no thing. Jesus says, without me, you can't do anything. I mean, that's a powerful statement. And so what really pleases the Father's heart is when we realise that. And saying, Lord, without you, I can do nothing. You're not looking for somebody who's independent, who does their own thing. You're looking for people who are going to completely and totally rely on you. There's a great scripture here. John, I think it's John chapter 8. I'm going to turn to that. John chapter 8, verse 27. Look at this phrase that Jesus says. John chapter 8, verse 27. They did not understand. Has he gone off? No, sorry. That he was talk, telling them about his father. So Jesus said, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and, what I, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The One who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. What?" pleases the Father. I just love that phrase. When I read that, I thought, I want to know what always pleases the Father. Because Jesus said, what I do, I always please the Father. And you'll see there's two things he said he did. The first thing he says is this. He says, I only speak the words the Father gives me to speak. Awesome. I don't kind of come up with my own ideas and my own thoughts and my own theology. So I only speak the words. I only do what the Father 
has told me to do. I only speak the words the Father has given me to speak. And he says, that's what pleases the Father. I don't have my own ideas, my own agendas. I only speak the words that the Father gives me to speak. That's why my words are anointed. Can you say amen? Here's the second thing. He said, I please the Father because I know the Father's always with me. Everything I do, I do out of this consciousness and awareness that the Father is with me. And I think one of the greatest things you and I can develop is a consciousness of the presence of the Father, the presence of the Lord being with you. You're not alone. And I think sometimes we, we please God that whatever we face, whatever challenges are there, we're facing it with a conscious awareness. Father, you're with me. I'm not alone in this. You think about it. What you're most conscious of, that's what controls you and rules you. If you're more, more conscious of fear, then fear rules you. If you're more conscious of, of the problem, then the problem rules you. But when I'm more conscious of the Lord being with me, that rules me. And Jesus says, you know what? I've learned to live my life in a continual day-to-day encounter. I live out of the fact that I know he's with me. And because I live out of that conscious awareness, then that's what pleases the Father. I don't do anything on my own bat. I only do what the Father leads, directs, and gives me his ability and his power to do. Just depending on him pleases God. One of the great, I suppose one of the real anointed women that we, over the last probably 40, 50 years, has been Catherine Coleman. She saw incredible miracles. Many miracles of healings took place in the meetings. I always remember she used to say, you know, you used to say, Holy Spirit, unless you come, I'm finished. Unless you come, this, nothing's going to happen. Unless you come, it's over, it's finished. And she lived her life continually depending and learning to live dependent on the Holy Spirit. And that's why she saw what she saw. Not because she had any particular ability or talent, was because she lived her life depending and living on the Holy Spirit. Think about what the Bible says. Without faith, what? It's impossible to please him. That's powerful. In other words, when I live a life that's not depending on him, it doesn't please him. The only thing that pleases him is when I depend on him. It's by faith, depending, trusting him. In fact, the Bible says that what is not a faith is sin. In other words, when I try to do things in my own power, my own strength, in other words, when I do things he's not told me to do, then the Bible calls that dead works. Because it's works that's not relying and depending on him that doesn't really please. It could be the most amazing thing out. It could be the most incredible thing ever. But if it's not done by faith, if it's not done depending and trusting in him, before God it means absolutely nothing. Without faith, it's impossible to please. I mean, that's a powerful truth there. So it's the first thing. Here's the second thing that pleases him. second thing that pleases him is when we spend time with him. How many of that pleases God? There's a phrase, and I've kind of thought about this quite a lot really. It says that David was a man 
after God's heart. You know, what a statement. He's a man after God's heart. And in other words, David was a man after God's presence. I mean, think the presence is important. But I want you to see, he wasn't just after the presence, he was also after God's heart. You see, you could be in someone's presence, but not really connect with them. Ever been to some gathering, dare I say a family gathering, <laughs> and you're there, but you're not really connected with anyone there. You're just there. And you're there, but not really there. I don't even know that. So you're in the presence, but you're not really connected to anybody else. And David said it's not just about being in the presence, which is vital and important. I love the presence. We've got to be pursuers and go after the presence. But it's more than the presence. It's also about knowing God's heart. In other words, the Bible says that David said, I will inquire of the Lord. In other words, he was saying, God, what's on your heart for my life? Not what's on somebody else's heart, but what's on your heart for me? What's on your heart for me to do? God, I want to know your heart. We sang earlier, touch my heart with the things that touch your heart. Break my heart with the things that break your heart. Allow your heart to get into me. Help me to know what's on your heart. I know one thing that's on God's heart. That's people, as we heard earlier, without Jesus. That's very much on God's heart. Broken people is on God's heart. Injustice is on God's heart. And so we need to say, God, ultimately, what's on your heart? We want to both know the heart of God, and we want to know the presence of God. And the heart and the presence connect together. You need both. That's a great prayer. Say, God, today, what's on your heart? What's on your heart for me? Isn't that awesome? Look at another psalm here. I think it's Psalm Psalm 27. Psalm 27 and verse 4. Just that one verse, great verse. One thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I mean, I just, I'm, I, that just blows me apart, that verse. I think it's so amazing, that verse. And basically, David said, there are, there are three things I love to do when I spend time with him. Here's the first thing he says, I, do, I love to dwell with him. That means to, to live with him. You know, being in God's presence isn't just like a, you know, a five-minute thing a day. But David said, I want to dwell with him. I want to live with him. He said, I love spending time with him. You know, I love being in that place when I'm in awe of him, seeing him, beholding him. How many of you ever remember that thing? Where, where's Wally? Remember that? And, and you, you can't find Wally. It's like, where is he? You know, the incredible thing is, the moment you see him, you see him everywhere. You, you can't miss him. Once you see him, but you think, how come I do this? It's almost when you see him, you know. And here's the thing with God. The moment you see God working and moving, God seems to be everywhere. You seem to recognize him in everything. Where before you didn't recognize him any time, suddenly now, you recognize God wherever he is. See, God's not hiding from us, but he does hide things for us. You know, I know, I'm sure you do that as parents. The grace of God is when you hide things, you know, Christmas or Easter when you hide the presents. I read that. And 
The real experience is seeking for it and looking for it. There's something thrilling about that. And there's something thrilling about seeking things for God. Something stirs. When you seek after God for a certain thing, it actually it, it causes something in you to explode. Something happens when you're there seeking God. When you're after God, seeking Him, something begins to happen in the discovery of seeking after God. So David says, my one thing is this. First of all, I want to dwell. I want to live with him. I want to, on a day-to-day moment, I want to encounter and be in his presence. And he says, I want to do that because, he says, the second thing is, I want to behold him. I want to behold him. I don't just want to dwell with him. I want to behold him. In other words, I just want to marvel at him. It's so powerful when you just behold God and you marvel at him. You have an awe of him. You, it's not something you just you've suddenly now take for granted, but you're in awe of God. There's something awesome, and you're in awe of His amazing power and His glory and His beauty. The Song of Solomon. I think we miss a lot of truths in the Song of Solomon because we don't realise the Song of Solomon is a picture of Jesus and His bride. That's what it's all about. And here is, if you like, the bridegroom speaking, but it's Jesus speaking, and He says this. He says, "You." have ravished my heart with just one look of your eyes. Isn't that awesome? He says, you've ravished my heart. The moment you gaze upon me, the moment you behold me, the moment you decide to set your attention on me, rather than your problems, rather than your difficulties, you behold me, you set your attention on me, he says, that just stirs my heart like anything you don't even believe. How that moves my heart when you set your gaze, when you set your focus on me. How many want to bless the Lord? Every time you bless him, every time you look at him, you're blessing him. You just set your heart upon him. Ultimately, really, I found this more and more. What you focus on, you become. You know that? If you focus on worry, you become a worrier. Isn't that true? If you focus on your problems, your problems begin to be the thing that just takes over your conversations, takes over everything you think about and say about. See, whatever you really set your attention, your focus on, you become it. That's why Paul said, he says, when you begin to behold the Lord, you're transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. What you focus on transforms your life. I think today, so much emphasis on self-help things. The way to see a life truly transformed is to focus your heart on Jesus. It's to centre yourself on him. Think on Jesus. Centre your being. Centre your heart on Jesus. As you focus and look at Jesus, that's what you become. You become like Jesus. Because that's what you think on. That's what you focus on. That's what you centre your thought and your heart and your emotions on. And David says, I behold the Lord. Because as I behold the Lord, it transforms me. It changes me. I don't think you can ever be the same and just spend moments beholding and focusing your heart and your attentions and your emotions on the Lord. Amen. The third thing he says is this. So I'm in his presence. I dwell with him. I behold him. He's the centre of my focus. Because as I focus on him, I connect with him. What you focus on, you connect to. 
Third thing he says this. And it's actually, he says that, he says, I will seek him in his temple. And that word seek actually means meditate. I will meditate on him. A.W. Tozer said this, we must practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. Just to meditate on him, just to think on him. That's awesome. So we dwell with him, we kind of, we, we behold him, and then we just meditate. We think on him. And when you do that, you please him, amen. Here's the other thing is that God loves our expressions. The actual word mutter, actually, med- the, word, sorry, the word meditate means to mutter. It means to talk to yourself. Now, you probably do that a lot. <laughs> and I, I, first, after we, I was just really, after we talk to things, you know, I was thinking the other day how the, ever had your car go wrong? Anybody ever read that? And you talk to your car. You know, what's wrong with it? Why aren't you working? Come on, get it to... You know, we are actually talking to our cars. And that's what the word means. It means to mutter, to talk to. I've got a, a, a great thing for you to do. Begin to talk back to God his word. Because when you talk back to God his word, that begins to please him. God is pleased when he hears our expressions that, of his word back to him. God's pleased when we do that. When we speak his word back to him. Because the Bible says his word will not return to him void, but will accomplish everything he sent it to do. Songs that flow from our hearts. Expressions of praise. Right now, you know what? I love to get the clips of, 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 of Levi. Oh, you get the clips and he's, he's expressing himself. You know, dancing. We saw one the other day, and he seems to be preaching. I don't know where he got that from. But, you know, he does all these crazy things, and he, he, he gets a microphone. And it's lovely to see his expressions. How much more does God love to see our expressions to him? Look at this as a great verse. I just want to share with you. Psalm 69, verse 13. This is a powerful... I just love... I just noticed this the other day. How powerful is that? Psalm 69 and verse 30. God loves our expressions. He loves it when we express our hearts and our love and his word back to him. He loves our expressions. Psalm 69, verse 30. So I will praise God's name in song, glorifying with thanksgiving, This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with his horns and hooves. That's about, when you're really poor, you bring maybe a dove. If you're really wealthy, if you had a lot of books, a lot of money together, you'd bring a bull. And David said, you know what? God loves it. He loves your expressions more than the most valuable kind of offering that someone could bring. That's how important your expressions are to God. It's the most valuable, the most important thing you can give to God is the expression of your heart to Him. It so pleases Him. Go to Ephesians 5, verse 19. 
I'm talking about what pleases the Lord. And how our expressions of love and our devotion to him please him. Ephesians 5 verse 19. We're going to hick some uh, sacred cows right now. Okay, verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Psalms are when you sing God's word back to him. I do that a lot. I love to take the psalms and sing the psalms by myself. But I love to, to sing the psalms. It's awesome, but when you take a psalm and you sing it, it's, you, you express, you sing the word back to God. And it also goes on to say hymns. What are hymns? Let me tell you right now, we, hymns are not necessarily songs written by Charles Wesley. You'd be amazed the destruction that has brought, that thought has brought to the church. You know what? That's how we think hymns are. They're not. Hymns are songs that people write that are somebody else's expression that you and I sing. That could be Charles Wesley, but that could be Darlene, that could be whoever. You're singing a hymn is when you take an expression that someone has written under the anointing of the Spirit and you sing it back to the Lord. How many, how many think that's simple? How can we miss the, the things that are simple? Singing songs, so we sing psalms, we sing hymns, which are songs or somebody else's expression, we sing somebody else's expression. And the third thing is this. It says spiritual songs. What are spiritual songs? They're your songs. Songs that the Spirit gives to you. The songs you sing in the Spirit, but also songs that, that kind of rise up in your heart and you just express your love and your devotion to Him. When you do that, you know what? It pleases the Lord. Can you say amen? It pleases the Lord. Singing, making melody. Now, to everybody else, it might not be melody. Amen? <laughs> but to God, it's melody of the heart. It's melody when you sing that song. So we express our praise to him. We express, our, as we declare his word back to him, Ephesians 4.31 says, Put away evil speaking. Or it means lifeless words. Now if you go on a little bit further down, next verse says this, Do not grieve the Spirit of God. In other words, what comes out of our mouth can actually grieve the Spirit. Let me realise that. And it says, Don't allow evil speaking or, or empty words to grieve the Spirit. Now you think about it. If words can actually grieve the Spirit... Maybe we could take it another angle and say this. That actually our words can also bless the Spirit. Instead of grieving the Spirit, we can actually stir up the Spirit. And we found that sometimes that you begin to declare his word. Something in you just rises up. Something is stirred up within you. When you begin to say, God, I'm declaring what you've said, even though everything is contrary to that, I'm declaring your word, something rises up and stirs within you. Why? Because it pleases God. Because words don't just affect people or affect you. Words actually even affect God. Isn't that awesome? So you can actually bring God into a situation by the words that you speak. That's why he says you can speak to what? Mountains. And see them be removed. That's how powerful we are when we declare. Because words, they 
bring blessing to God. Let me close with this one. Not more I could say about that. But let me, let me just throw out one final one. I think we please God when we join him on his adventure, taking risks and seizing opportunities. That's what pleases God. Ephesians 5, verse 8. If we go back to Ephesians 5, verse 8. It says, For once you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The, the NLT version says this, You were once in darkness, but now you have the very light of the Lord shining through you. Your mission, should you take it, your mission is to live, sorry about that one, is to live as children flooded with revelation of his life. Awesome. That's your mission. To live as children of light. Let the light of the Lord shining through you. Go down to verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Here's a powerful one. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The Passion Translation says this, take full advantage of every day you spend your life as you spend your life for his purpose. Let me close this, if I bring it to this conclusion by saying this. There are two Greek words for the word time. There's the word kairos and the word chronos. The word chronos means minute, hours, days. Normal time. Powerful truth of the word kairos, it means this. It's a moment that is pregnant with opportunity. It's a moment that springs up. It's this picture that you seize the moment, you take action, and you don't let that moment pass through your hands. And that's what the Bible is saying. It pleases God that when Kairos moments come, and we seize the moment, and we take action in that Kairos moment that we have. I believe God is continually opening Kairos moments for us. Can you say amen? And the Bible says, don't let those Kairos moments pass you by. Make every opportunity of that moment. Seize it, grab it. Don't let it pass you by. It's a picture of Revelation 12. It says about the devil. It says, because his time Cronus time is getting short. He's angry and mad because he knows his time is short. But the thing that really annoys him is that the people of God, the children of God, are taking those, those moments that he wanted to snatch away, but the people of God are taking that moment and they're using those moments to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And that's what causes his fury to arise. Because the people of God are seizing the moment. The moment that he wanted to use, but now you've seized it and you're using it. I think in every life there's Cronus moments all the time. Do you know what? Even this morning was a Cronus moment. Do you know that? A Kairos moment because we had, we had a moment of opportunity to worship him. An opportunity to meet with him. An opportunity to encounter him. There are Kairos moments where we have opportunities to share Jesus with someone. 
had it just a couple of days ago on a plane. And it can happen just any moment. There's a Kairos moment. There's a moment where God challenges you to go deeper in him. Maybe a moment where God speaks to you. Andy said about a word. Maybe a word comes to you. And you know you've got to seize the moment and actually take it. Because that moment might not come again. You're going to seize it. You're going to take it. Often life is all about that. Reality is we are where we are because of the kindest moments that we seize. We either ignore it and miss it, or we take something of it and make something powerful with it. I think of Peter and John. Remember that? They're walking down. And the guy says, basically, he looked at them to receive something. In other words, they could have said, sorry, I've got time now, I've got to go and pray. You know, I've got time for that. Or they could have said, oh, here's a 50, here's a couple of, you know, whatever it is, in your box. You know, there's a kindest moment. There's this silver and gold as we know, have none. But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I believe with all my heart that sometimes what seems such a small opportunity and you seize it and take hold of it, it's amazing where that can lead to. It's amazing that often the people who've done incredible things for God was because they seized the Kairos moment. It, seemed more, it didn't seem anything significant, but they took it, used it, grabbed hold of it, and it led them into a whole new way of things. Sometimes your whole life can be turned around just by seizing one Kairos moment. Isn't that true? Your whole life, everything can be changed just in that one moment because you seized it and took it, not realising where that moment was going to lead you. And that's why Paul says, take every opportunity. Don't let any moment pass you by. Not one. Because every one of those Kairos moments has incredible potential to open the most amazing doors you'd never believe. And often, when we refuse to take hold of those moments, all kinds of opportunities are missed. There could have been incredible doors to something amazing, but we didn't seize it, we didn't grab it. But it always pleases the Father's heart when we take these moments. I shared, and I close with this, I shared, I think, on Wednesday, we are talking about evangelism, actually, in our Wednesday Connect group. And I said about a guy. And he, he, he got everyone in his church to pray this prayer. This was the prayer he got them to pray. And they saw amazing things, all kinds of loads of people being saved as they prayed this prayer. It says, Lord, send someone today who needs your help. And everyone every day in that church would pray that prayer. Lord, send me today someone who needs your help. Give me a Kairos moment every day. And they saw just amazing, because they really believed it and prayed it every day. And they began to see that happening. Isn't that awesome? People began to come along their paths because they prayed, God, send me today a Kairos moment. Send me someone today who needs your help. Send someone into my path. Arrange a Kairos moment for me today. And God did awesome things through that. Let's just stand right now. Let's come before him. Hallelujah. Just lift your heart to the Lord today. Say today, Lord, that's my desire today. I want to please you. Not really about pleasing myself or pleasing anyone else, really. The goal of my heart, the goal of my life, is that I would 
please you. Hallelujah. Just praise him because he loves that. Thank him today. Say, Lord, today I want to please you. I want to please you. We please him when we depend upon him. Have you this morning just been trusting and relying upon yourself? We say, Lord, today, in a fresh way, I surrender. I give myself fully to you. Forgive me for relying and trusting in my own power and my own ability. But Lord, today, I put my trust in you. Secondly, we trust him. We, we please him by just spending time in his presence. When was the last time you spent time in God's presence? It pleases him when we spend time in his presence. We please him by our expressions. And lastly, we please him when we seize the moment. We seize the opportunity. Lift your heart to the Lord today. Make that your one goal in life. Say, Lord, today I want to please you. To live a life... You know, as you please him, God begins to confirm that. Peace comes into your heart. Joy. All these things just result as living a life that is pleasing to him. Father, today our, our desire, Lord, is to please you. In all that we say and all that we do, we want to bring pleasure to you today, O oh God. We want you to be pleased with us today, O oh God. I thank you, Father, today. You're not hard to please. Thank you, Lord, that we don't do it in our own power and strength and own ability, but you give us the power and the grace to do it. And Lord, we thank you today, God, that, Lord, uh, that we can actually bring pleasure to you. And so, Lord, today I pray, stir us, move us, enable us to live lives today that bring pleasure to your name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you need prayer, you know, let me just say this this morning as we come. If you need prayer this morning for healing, I found this. God loves it. God loves it when we respond to say, Lord, I need a healing touch. God, I need you to touch my life in a certain situation. That pleases the Lord. Because everybody in the Bible that did that saw a result. Can you say amen? Because it pleased the Lord. And so today, if you need prayer for any situation today or healing, then we would love to just to pray for you this morning. We're just going to have a worship song. Is that right, Rich? And so if you need prayer this morning, then just come. Let me just say that. I just feel strong in my heart today. Maybe today there's in your heart, that maybe your heart has grown cold to the Lord. And God today says, this is a Kairos moment for you to come into a place where my spirit can put a fire back in your heart. This is a Kairos moment where the spirit of the Lord can set your heart ablaze anew and afresh. A Kairos moment. To let him touch your life and touch your heart. Praise God. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.